Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., and watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube. So head over to our channel, hit the like button, comment, subscribe, and join the community. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. Uh, Rob, welcome to the show. Uh, you were at Old Trafford for Thursday night's 1-1 draw with Chelsea. Uh, cursing your luck as you travelled home late at night, I'm guessing. Bleary-eyed this morning. Obviously, we're recording the day after the night before. Um and just tired of seeing the same stuff, Scott. You know, like the game was 1-1. You came out of the stadium thinking, well, at least we didn't lose, which is like an uptick. But just the same rubbish, the same poverty in this Manchester United team, which doesn't ever seem to get richer. So we'll talk a little bit about that today and about where this football club is going. Yes, indeed. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders for me, at underscore Rob underscore B. For Rob and at Promise Land MU for the show. As Rob mentions there, we'll talk a little bit about the United-Chelsea game, which, uh, you know, I've, I've got in my notes, just please end the season now. Because uh, I think that's how everybody feels, including the players, including Ralph Ranick, probably. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about, you know, it was a debut for Alejandro Garnacho last night for about three minutes, which was one plus point, I guess. Another goal for Ronaldo, who's now... Uh, Second in the Premier League goal scoring charts, I'm, I think, uh, after or oh, behind Mo Salah. We'll talk about him at the end of the show because uh, I know that Rob has some points that he'd like to make. Uh, and we'll talk about the fullbacks being an issue because obviously that's well, where do you want to start really? Central midfield doesn't exist, uh, the fullbacks are an issue. You've got Juan Mata coming on for cameos here, there, and everywhere at 33 without. You know the ability to run. Um, we'll talk about talk. We'll talk as well uh, towards the end of the show about Ralph Ranick and his role, which is becoming a little bit clearer. Uh, you know, it looks like the consultancy is going to happen, but it doesn't look like that'll be his full time job. So uh, let's put it that way. Austria are in line to take him as their national team coach, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. But Rob, uh, tell us about the game last night because United struck back through Ronaldo after getting dominated by Chelsea for about an hour. Uh, who was it who put them ahead? Marcus Alonso with a volley at the back post. It, seemed, it feels like I've seen that goal so many times before, you know, with his players queuing up uh, because the fullbacks have come in too narrow and, you know, it was two players over and Alonso was the first of the two to go and uh, volley it in. But United did manage a point in the end. Uh, it could have been worse, couldn't it? But, you know, one home game left on Monday against Bradford. You could have really got smashed in this game. This It kind of felt the same as other games that you've lost. Like Liverpool came to Old Trafford and absolutely smashed Man United, scored five. It kind of felt like that most of the game, that United were so inept in certain parts of the park. Um, 
you could highlight absolutely everyone individually and we could do that show until we're blue in the face and this could be a three-hour podcast we're not going to do that we're going to try and kind of break it apart a little bit but I think what you saw again with Man United last night is just the inadequacies in almost every position and how the chemistry between them is non-existent and yes Cristiano scores you a goal and it was right in front of us so the ball comes over from Matic Cristiano takes a wonderful first touch, smashes it, goes top corner, great, you score a goal. But what did United not do all night long? They didn't press, Scott. Every time Chelsea got the ball on their back three, they walked through United's attack, past Ronaldo, past Bruno, past Marcus. And it just happened over and over again. And I don't understand why some United fans don't understand that. Well, they don't look at that and go, that is actually why you get swamped in defence. So, you know, you just talked there about fullbacks, that goal. We've seen it over and over again. They are so bad when the ball comes over the top of their heads. They just cannot read it. They don't know how to cover it. They don't know whether to go narrow or wider or man mark or zonal mark. They don't know what to do. And that's on them. But it starts at the top end of the pitch. Your lack of aggression, your lack of a press is the difference between you and Liverpool. That is the core difference, is that they work hard at the top and you don't. So this is this is the issue. Great goal by Cristiano, second now behind Salah in terms of scoring goals. But you know what, Scott? I am not interested in what I call Robbie Fowlerisms. So Robbie Fowler used to be the top scorer every year in the Premier in the Premier League or in the top division when he was at Liverpool, and Liverpool used to win nothing. I'm not interested in Ronaldo being top scorer. I want Man United to be good again. So this is going to be Eric Ten Hag's big task next year is to find a complete holistic system that makes everyone better. How many players uh, survive that and can actually become part of that team? Well, from my seat on the halfway line last night, I was screaming out loud like a madman, burn this whole team down. That's what I felt, and I, and I mean it. Because this is why I said, again, in our previous shows, that I, I, I don't feel too bad about stuff because I am looking forward and I look at this as, as a failed project with a failed manager of Onegan and Solskjaer, and we're moving on now. But if you move on, Scott, you've got to get rid of these players. You've got to get a, rid of a whole chunk of them. And the ones that stay have to completely be doppelgangers and change. They can't be what they are today. You've got to be able to run, but you've got to do it efficiently. So I think we saw last night again, Man United, first half, no run at all, lots of jogging, lots of holes, lots of space, no pressing. Second half, 10 minutes of it, especially after they conceded. And it looked all right for 10 minutes, Scott. Lo and behold, you do a little bit of running, good things happen. So that's, I think, going to be the big change next year is that you need 11 players that run from minute one to minute 91. Because this lot just pick and choose and do whatever they want. How I'm looking at this job that Ten Hag will have on his hands and looking at the way that United are playing, and obviously we, we, we know that the effort levels aren't there. We know that the commitment isn't there. Uh, we know that the physicality, as Ralph puts it, isn't there. How do you magic that out of thin air? Is it just a, is it the fact that Rannick's interim position has just meant these players don't really have to listen to him and like put the effort into making the, or doing the actions that he would like them to do? And will they do that under Ten Hag because he's there for longer? Or is this a case of, Will new players come in and bring new energy to lift everyone else up? Or I'm trying to think of how Ten Hag can actually turn this around. 
Well, look, change is always a good thing. I think when you're stale and stuff has like fundamentally collapsed, you have to change something. You know, you have you almost have to start from the beginning and retell the story. It's like a completely brand new book. Get a new chapter in and start afresh. But that is the only way that this Man United team gets better. And I've said this, you know, many many years ago when we talked about Mourinho and also Van Gaal and all of those periods where we've had failed management. Is that the only way to change stuff is new players. So if you've got players that are failing and you just cannot get anything more out of them, don't try and get blood out of a stone because it doesn't work. It's not real. You have to find a way. So I think Ten Hag will be watching that game last night and he'll be seeing the same stuff we'll see and he'll be thinking, how do I fix this? And there'll be some players that he'll just think, well, I can't fix that. That's impossible. So what do you do? You sell the player or they go and sit in the reserves, or, you know, old school, go and sit on the bench. You know, the bench is going to be expanded next year, going to be five substitutes, so you've got the opportunity to put more players on a on an active bench where players can actually feature, and you make those changes. Manchester United are going to have to have an incredible transfer window this year just to be relevant, Scott, because they are irrelevant at the moment. They are no better than Wolves. They're falling behind teams like West Ham, who are, haven't got as talented squad as Man United, and they're miles off it. What was the stat you said off air about Newcastle to uh, me? So, yeah, this is uh, something I wanted to bring to people's attention. So we all know about how Newcastle were doomed in January and signed a bunch of different players, and now they've been on a great run. I think their home form has been exemplary this year. But Newcastle, who were relegation-threatened, are now 12 points behind United with a game in hand. So... It really just goes to... I know it's still a big gap, but that's technically not impossible to overcome by the end of the season. That United, Newcastle could actually finish level on points for United. Which as, as is a, yeah. crazy. As a hypothetical, it is crazy. But at the same time, it shows how far this team has sunk. So I think that's 10 league defeats so far this season. Is that right? Am I, am I right about that as well? You know, 10 defeats. T- 10 defeats in the league this year? 10 defeats, year? 10 draws. Right, so 10 defeats, 10 draws is a complete mitigated, unmitigated disaster. It's awful. It's as bad as it could have been, really. Yes, you could have been out of the top 10. Yes, you could have been had a terrible season, been in the relegation zone. You can go on forever. But this Man United team, at the start of this season, ended last year as second and had aspirations of winning the title. People were telling me that when you signed Ronaldo, that was it. You got Ronaldo, you've got the goals, you've got the firepower, you can compete with the top teams. It could not have been any further from the truth. And we stand in that flux today, Scott, is that you play Chelsea, who were the champions of Europe, and they didn't even play that well at Old Trafford, but they hammered you because they have a system, they have players that run around, and they have that connectivity between them as a squad. And Man United have none of those things. Nothing. Zero. Obviously, there was some more um, protests before the game with the Glazers out. And I look at this football team and it could not epitomise the Glazer period more than anything. You know, the apathy of the ownership and the connection between those bits of the football club to what we're seeing on the football pitch is 100% connected. You can see it. And this team jogs around because they know their shirt sellers, some of them, and all they've got to do is sell some shirts. They don't even have to score goals anymore. So that's what Ten Hag has to change. He has to come in and make a football project, because currently Man United have no football project, and their football team is a complete, utter, stinking mess. 
Yeah, we've said it a number of times this season, and I'll just repeat the point again, that what we are seeing play out now is X number of years, 10 years, if you want to go back to 2005. United's transfer policy, even when Sir Alex Ferguson, I think it was after Ronaldo, after Ronaldo was sold to Real Madrid, they replaced mm-hmm. him with Valencia. You had Michael Owen come in, Gabriel Overtan. Yeah. All of these types of players, that was, for me, the moment where you kind of thought, ooh, this is a bit weird. And it has never got any better. They've thrown money at the at the problem, uh, obviously, with the likes of Paul Pogba and a bunch of other different expensive signings. But what you are seeing now is the manifestation right in front of you on the pitch of all of the problems and all of the resulting like awful decisions of the bad ownership over the last 10 years or whatever. Yeah, and the players that we've spoken to in our jobs and stuff over the last 10 years who, who have signed for Man United... And obviously spoken to the board, Ed Woodward, people like that, in terms of the project, everything they were sold by that board hasn't come to fruition. It's all been a smokescreen. So they've said, you know, these players that have come to the football club, they've been told about United's ambition, they want to be the best, they want to win every title, they want every trophy. And that's the ethos of Man United, isn't it? As Man United fans, that's what we also expect. But you've got to do the work to get there. And that's why I'm saying this team is a reflection of that because this team doesn't do the work. This team is on holiday already, but it's been on holiday for weeks. And as I said, it starts at the very top with your most senior players because you can see how discombobulated they are. You know, we talk about Ronaldo and Bruno. Even last night where Ronaldo scores that goal, Bruno and, and, and Cristiano look like they've never met each other. They haven't got a clue. They're both Portuguese, play together at national level, and they look like strangers. You've got to ask those questions. Why? So it, it it's rotten, isn't it, Scott? That's kind of, I think, the thing we're getting to here with the transfer policy. You know, United have got rid of the scouting network now. They're bringing in a manager who can reshape a lot of that. Ralph Rannick has now said that he will be a consultant, which means he'll be on conference calls once a week from Austria. That's not really going to help Man United a whole bunch. He's not going to put a lot of energy into that. But you've got a manager now that can at least change a lot of that stuff. And you need to change it. You need to change it quickly because you cannot rely on Ronaldo to score you 100 goals a season to make you relevant. It cannot be like that. You need a proper football team. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more in depth uh, later in the show about uh, Ralph Rangnick's position uh, and what it could mean moving forward. Uh, But looking back at the game again, the central midfield thing is a big issue for me. Obviously, it just seems like there's a chasm of space in there which any team can run into, and we've seen it over and mm. over again. But the fullbacks, as well as we've already mentioned, have been a big issue. Let's let's talk about the fullbacks, Rob, because you, you said I think it was off air before we started that there was a reason why Ollie didn't play these fullbacks. <laughs> yes, some very colourful language off air about fullbacks, which I seem to have said a lot this season. Um, you can see why Ollie and Solskjaer didn't play these guys. You can see it. And we used to say it last year when people used to cry and go, oh, Wambasak is not very good this week and Luke Shaw is not very, very good this week. Why don't we give those other two guys a go? You know, Delo did all right at AC Milan and Tellers had a million assists in the Portuguese league. Why are we not playing them? Well, you can see why we're not playing them. They are horrific defensively and even going forward because they can't do their defensive duties. They give you nothing going forward, almost zero. You know, Delo yesterday on the right-hand side, compared to what Wambasaka gives you, they're equally as bad. Yet you would say one's an attacking fullback and one isn't. So this is the problem, isn't it, United? I, I said as well last night, I would rather have Luke Shaw on one leg hopping down the left-hand side than Alex Tellers being in the team. Alex Tellers needs to go. He needs to go. Even one of those players 
that is just fundamentally not good enough for us. And that is where the transfer policy has let United down. Because all these players that have come in over the last two or three years, overall, do not add to your sum of parts. They don't make you better. So the fullbacks are just... You saw last night with Reese James, it was embarrassing because the ball was getting to him and you had Mason Mount in the channel and Mason Mount was just going narrow and Teller's just followed him. And Reese James had 30 or 40 yards on the right-hand side on the right wing. And that happened from literally the first minute. And we were all shouting and screaming at him to like cover, cover, cover. And he got away with it because that could have really destroyed United on the night. You could have conceded three or four because of that. Well, Kai Havertz missed three or four chances. Missed, look, 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 David De Gea made X, X amount of saves again. Without David De Gea, you lose that game. So this is the problem when people say about, should we sell David De Gea? It's like, well, he's the least problem at the moment. But yeah, he can't play out from the back. So that is a, an issue for Ten Hag to solve. But he made plenty of saves last night, but it can't be just about saving the ball, can it? It's a bit like the Ronaldo question. It can't just be about scoring the goal. It has to be about the holistics of a football team. But Alex Tellez, just the communication. And there was one point where Ronaldo went up to him in the second half and absolutely ripped his head off because he got overlapped because he just didn't run. And Ronaldo went all the way from centre forward to the back line and screamed at him. So obviously, the job and Tellers kind of did this little boy loss thing, head to one yeah. side, like, oh, sorry, Cristiano, didn't mean that. And you're just like, what are you lot doing? You know, what is this? What are we watching? So, yeah, there's no way that a new manager is going to look at that and think that's something I can, I can push forward. Because if it does, if it stays like that, Eric Ten Hogg's getting sacked in six months. It's going to be like that. He will take the blame and he needs to change it before any of that can really infect his tenure. Uh, I was going to come back to this at the end of the show, but I think it's a, probably a, a good time to talk about it now. So I shifted the order around a little bit. Uh, Ronaldo, is, as we mentioned earlier, 17 Premier League goals this season, mm-hmm. joint second top scorer in the Premier League. For a 37-year-old, it's a great return. Could actually end up with 20 Again, I think there's something like 12 years in a row he scored 20 league goals, which is an insane statistic. But obviously, I think he's also scored the last nine goals, bar one, nine or ten goals. And I think Fred's the only other player who scored in that time uh, in in the league for United. So there's a lot of, you know, oh, where would United be without Ronaldo? Uh, Ronaldo is saving United over and over again. And while I, I do agree that it's remarkable to see him scoring so many goals, what's your kind of response to this, Rob? Because United, would United be playing differently without Ronaldo? And I'm, I'll return to the question that I posed to you after about three games this season. I think there was an episode that we did which was titled this. Is Ronaldo a problem? <laughs> yeah, I think he is. And this is the whole thing. Like, like we live in a very binary world, don't we? Where people want to say yes or no, black or white. This is kind of how it is. Cristiano Ronaldo is the problem. Well, he's not the problem, but he is a problem. Because having a striker that doesn't press, and, and I think at the start of the season, there was that horrible graphic that came out, I think from The Athletic, where it showed Cristiano Ronaldo had the worst pressing stats of any striker in the Premier League. And we were watching it going, yeah, that's about right. You can tell. 
And I think the issue is we've got to a point in the season now where the press has disappeared, hasn't it? Like it doesn't exist anymore at Manchester United because they've got to a point where they've got no choice but to rely on Cristiano. So it's turned into this kind of game of isolation basketball. Give him the ball in the box and let's just hope he scores. And last night you get a point out of it. But I tell you what, if Chelsea had taken their five or ten chances, you lose 5-1. It doesn't matter if Cristiano scores. So I saw last night, and this is, you know, keenly eyed watching it, watching Chelsea's back three and looking at the systems. When Man United went to a back five and had three centre-backs on, they looked the best they'd looked in that 15-minute spell when Phil Jones came on and they just reshaped and they got more control. But Chelsea bossed the game because Rudiger was getting the ball and there was no one near him. Cristiano just stood in position. Bruno stood in position. And Rudiger just kind of tottled out when he won. And it was, oh God, Scott is embarrassing. It's like, well, my boy was with me and I said to him, I said, if you did that in your football match at youth level, when he plays at under 16s, I was like, I would be going absolutely crazy at you and saying, why are you not doing the work? Do the work first before you think of scoring goals and glory. Run. Man United don't run. There's still a bunch of joggers. And this is why I was saying burn it down. Because I think we can't accept this as Man United fans. It doesn't matter what you think about the Glazers or you know, what they've done, all this. In terms of fundamentals of the players, you cannot accept jogging. If you jog, you lose. That's where we are as, as, a, as a football club. But as I said, it is also a reflection. The jogging you see on the pitch is like the jogging you see in the boardroom. Absolutely. I think it's so obvious eh, that everybody involved in the club at the moment is waiting for everything to finish. Like I know me and you mm. as, as, you know, fans of United... Just want the season to be over and to look forward. And it's so obvious, like with the players' uh, levels of energy and that kind of thing, that they are just looking towards the end of the season, having a break and then coming back with to whatever mess United will have to deal with in, you know, mid-June. I think the, the, the season starts in, oh, mind you, not even mid-June, because there's an international break which comes up at the end of the season. Mm. A few players, not as many as usual, will be on international duty, I'd imagine. Uh, but I think a few that might be having the summers August. off this year. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure they're going to get picked. Yeah. Early August next season starts. So Ten Hag will uh, have his hands full there. They're going on a preseason tour in July. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes. There's going to be a lot of different personnel, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, are they going to magically come back with this desire to do the work to impress a new manager? I don't think anything will be magical, Scott, but I do think ultimately football is just a sport. And in sport, you can make changes, big adjustments, and you can get somewhere very quickly. So, you know, let's just take it like this. Ten Hag comes in, 10 go out the door. He brings in five. Two or three of the youngsters come through. We saw Garnacho obviously get a minute last night. It was great to see him on the football pitch for us uh, at, at full level. And you can very quickly play better football. And if we saw better football in pre-season, Scott, you and me will be doing quite excited shows. We'll be going, they pass the ball. Oh, my God, they're running. Oh, my God, they've got a press. They can press from the top suddenly. We've got options. This year, everything failed because parts of the Man United squad from the top to the bottom, each individual brick fragmented. You know, you could even throw the whole Mason Greenwood thing in there. You know, you lose Mason Greenwood. He's a hundred million pound striker. Now, that was something you cannot help. That had to happen. But it's a big thing, isn't it? And it's something that we don't talk about because of, obviously with the case ongoing. So 
United need to solve that now in the transfer market. You need to be able to bring in the youngsters and bring in players that can fill all of those holes that are there from this season because there is so many. But that's a good thing, I think, for Ten Hag. I think Ten Hag will be looking at that and going, it can't be much worse than this. What would you, know, you what I, would you address first in terms of position? I think you need five. So like it's the same. So talking about ten going out the door, I think it's pretty obvious who they are. They're all really at the end of their contracts or aging or one thing or another. I definitely think you need a forward that can press down the middle. You do. You need one forward that can press. Cavani was supposed to be that guy. Cavani isn't that guy. Cavani's gone. So you need someone. So you need to address that. But you could see last night, you just mentioned there about Scott McTominay. I think more importantly, it's what opponents have. So Chelsea had Kante. And I watched Kante last night. And Kante was literally running circles around people. Like, physically. He was getting the ball. There was one bit where Marcus Rashford closed him down. He ran all the way around Marcus Rashford in a circle with the ball. And we were like, that shouldn't happen on a professional football pitch. But that's because they've fundamentally got the right players in the right place. So I think you need a midfielder. So you need someone in there. You need Declan Rice. You need someone who can work hard and do that. But then you can talk about maybe a right back. You can definitely talk about another centre back because it's just a mess. Like Victor Lindelof, again, is just way too slow and not good enough for, for what you need. So you need five across all the major positions on the pitch, Scott, the core of the team. And they need to be players that come in that make you better on day one. They need to come in and go, right, we are going to add this value now. So I think it's a good open book for Ten Hag because he can actually look at this and go, well, I can make this better quickly. But as I said to you the other day, this transfer window and the players that come in might just be a temporary fix for a year or two. You might have to bring in players that just get you back up to being a valid football team. And then you start the process of adding. Uh, Gary Neville said the other day, you know, it might take three or four years to, to fix this. I think you can fix it quicker than that. But you need to score big in the transfer market and you need to score big quick. And that's why someone like a Declan Rice, who would change the whole attitude of that midfield overnight on his own, would take you up a level. You need to find players that can help you do that. Would you, are you in the camp of uh, knowing how much Declan Rice would cost him being worth the money if it means that they, they can't really spend as much as they need to in other areas? Well, again, this is another thing is that people say about the budget. We hear it every year, the war chest, the budget. And I always say the same thing. There is no budget. There's never a budget for transfers. They, they never, the, the board never say you've got 126 million to spend this year. They don't do that. It's about outgoings and incomings. So Man United have got a lot of outgoings. And what does that do? That frees up your wage bill. When your wage bill is freed up and it becomes a smaller percentage of your profits, you can go and get more players. It's just simple. That's how it works. So if you're getting rid of 10, Scott, or even 12, or you're moving people out end of their contracts, you can afford to bring in talent. I said the other day about Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen is going to be a free agent next year, obviously after his time at Brentford. Now, Christian Eriksen doesn't make you a Premier League winner, but my God, he makes you better. So give him a contract. Give him a two to three year contract and he makes you better. He becomes much more infinitely useful than one matter. So it's about making like for like changes positionally, but it's about having a set of players that can help you. And I think that's where the youngsters come into it as well. Like I said, Garnacho got like all of one minute last night and it was celebrated. You know, he's a player that I think could make a big step up next year with Hannibal. And I think both of them could be regulars in your, in your rotation. And it's about finding a rotation now that 
that keeps you on the right side of winning. Because I think that's where Man United have fallen off. Talented squad, lots of players, but lots of players who are just not asked is the word. They're just not really into it. And because they're not really into it, you're probably going to be on the wrong side of winning. You're going to be losing games or drawing games. Would you say they're 10, 10 losses, 10 draws? The 10 draws are as damning as and the 10 losses. that will go up. United aren't winning the last three games. Totally. And, I, and, and and why should they as well? Like If you're these players, like Nemanja Matic's interview at the end of the game last night was, was telling because he was like, Man United are in my heart. And I think Roy Keane even kind of spe- said it afterwards in, in a typical Roy Keane fashion. And he was like, oh, yeah, I mean, Man United's in your heart and Chelsea's in your heart and Benfica's in your heart. That's kind of how diluted Man United are. There is no one out there who I think really kind of pats that badge and thinks, yeah, I'm just going to put my neck on a block this week. Whatever happens, I'm going to come off that pitch dead. Like we just said there about um, Scott McTominay. He got absolutely killed last night midfield, but he still at least tries. And that's the first kind of prerequisite. And he's less without Fred, you know, so this is the problem. So Fred's not there. Scott looks worse. You know, Matic has no uh, mobility at all anymore. He's going out the door. And Matic is playing like that. You know, Matic looks like a guy who's ready for his next club. But there's lots of them like that. I think looking at this and they're going, well, I think Eric Ten Hag might bin me, you know, because I'm not very good. So many players we'll talk about last night as well. Like someone like Anthony Martial could have helped you in these last few months of the season. He really could have done. He could have given you some talent, at least in the top top third of the pitch. There's so many issues. I mean, I think at Man United that Eric Ten Hag needs to get quick solutions to, but it is a very, very, very long build. Let's talk about Ralph then. Yay. Uh, because obviously I, I was I was I missed a, a chunk of the game last night, of being completely honest, because usually I would I would come to a United game and I would like, you know, I'd I'd be going or I'd be sitting down to watch it because, you know, I have to uh but I'm at the point now where I'm like, oh, well, I've got some food. Yeah, I'm not really that bothered. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was with a bunch of... Uh, Gotta wash my fans. hair, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. I was with uh, with the rest of the 90 Min team uh, in the in the UK. And uh, we were support different clubs, obviously. We were talking about United. Uh, and they were, or some of them were going, yeah, I've never seen a man get praised so much for just turning out awful performances and then saying everything is shit. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's not... When you, when you look at it from a United perspective, when you know what's going wrong, you know, I think every, every United fan probably appreciates what Ralph is saying. We're not seeing it. Improvements manifest on the pitch. We're not seeing that. And are you surprised, Rob? That obviously, the, so for context, before we get into this, like it looks as though uh, Ralph Rangnick will be taking the national team job at Austria. Uh, and he has confirmed in his uh, press conference after the game, he said he didn't really want to speak about it. He wanted to speak about the, the game itself. Uh, but he did confirm that the consultancy role has now been discussed and the logistics of it and what it'll actually entail has been discussed and confirmed with him. And I think there's a feeling that he can balance the consultancy role with the Austria job. But what do you make of this? Because, you know, it, it has seemed like in the last few days that Ranić has, he, like we reported this, he was an advocate of pushing Ten Hag uh, on, on John Murta. I wasn't, uh, not, he wasn't part of the process, obviously, to hire him. But I think mm-hmm. he has, can, he's 
managed to convince a few people within United that this was the right way to go, as far as I understand it. Yep, yep. He's also been speaking about Paul Mitchell. He is an advocate for Paul Mitchell to be brought in the club's work with him before. Uh, as yet, there's no real uh, progress in, in that on that front. I think United are looking to get Ten Hag and his team sorted first, and then they, maybe they'll look at addressing whatever's kind of above and how Paul Mitchell fits into that. But Chelsea are in the mix as well for him, probably other clubs too. Uh, but... Yeah, what what do you read into this, Rob? Because Ranick is going to be taking a full time job. It's not; it's an international job, so it's technically not full time all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are you discouraged by this? Do you think Ralph's had enough, or is this just the logical next step for him and his role? Am I discouraged? I think the thing is, is that when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got the sack, and we went into that cycle straight away of like, who's next? And I think the initial one was, well, Conte is probably best on the market. I mean, flick of a switch, Conte was gone. So it was like, what do you do next? And I was a big advocate of Ralph Rangnick. I was like, he is the guy. You need someone to build a football club. But don't bring him in as an interim. Don't. bring it, Give him the job and allow him to build. Allow him to do it properly because that's what he does. What did Man United do? They made him the interim. So immediately the day he came into the football club, they just chopped his leg up, legs off. He couldn't run. You can do anything at Man United. And that is a reflection on the football team today, isn't it? You can see that his authority is diminished because he's here part-time. Now, you just said there about the, um, the consultancy role. When that was announced initially, I was highly suspicious. And we, we, talk, we spoke to people in and around the football club and we were like, what does this mean? You know, is this guy going to help reshape stuff? And, and the idea was, yes, he will. And that he'll get a chance to look at the football team from within and all of these things. But it was very much treading water. And now we've got to the point, and this is the point of no return, is that I'd said a few weeks ago, if he goes and does another job, then this consultancy means not a lot. Because he's going to be doing that. That's his role. He's going to be doing it somewhere else. He's now going to be the manager of Austria. That's going to be his primary role. Now, of course, as an international manager... He will have time. You know, he will have extra bits of time. But he's not going to be involved in the day-to-day running of the football club. He just is not. Just the way it is. So, yes, you need to now maybe go and get a Paul Mitchell. And we said this last week, you know, can the two people coexist? Can Ranić do a job with Mitchell there as well? And is there going to be too many cooks spoiling the broth? Now you could go and investigate getting Mitchell to come to the football club to work with Ralph Ranić. But as you said there... The feeling is that they want to get, they well, not Ranić, sorry, uh, with Ten Hag. The feeling is they want Ten Hag to make some of those choices because that's what he demanded. He said, I want control of the checkbook. I want control of the transfer market. That doesn't mean that the Man United are just going to go and give him a new director of football or a new head of recruitment. That's not going to happen that way. So I'm, I'm disappointed because I think Ralph Ranić could have been the guy to really reset the button at United. He said all the right things, Scott. And yes, he's failed as manager here. But yeah. I don't blame him. He's failed because this team is rotten to the core and he couldn't make changes. We saw for 45 minutes against Crystal Palace what Ralph Ranić football could have been like. 30 minutes. We saw it. That was generous. 28 minutes, maybe. <laughs> 28 minutes. It wasn't a half, was it? It just, we felt, I remember at that game at half time feeling so good. I remember we were all chatting. We were like, wow, this is it. Pressing football at Man United finally arrives in 2022. Clubs have been doing it for years, but we haven't. And now it's here. But it was here for 28 minutes. That was it. And that's because of the players. These players do not want to run. They're joggers. So we can reiterate that in many different forms. But the truth is that Ralph Ranić never, ever stood a chance. 
let me let me frame this to you because uh, we we should probably I'm sure we'll do this in the next few weeks in a bit more depth reflecting on Ranić's tenure <clears throat> because it does seem that obviously he was taking that Austria job they sat their manager just mm-hmm. after they lost to Wales failed to qualify for the World Cup uh, but. I know he's not succeeded on the pitch, but if you let's say we plucked a Conte out of uh, out of obscurity and United went in that direction, and you saw an uptick in results, and you saw a way of playing, and people buying into the methods of a coach who is world renowned, who is one of the considered one of the best. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, like, will this Ranić spell and the the fact that he's managed to expose all of the things that are kind of wrong on such a public level. Will that end up benefiting United in the long term or would it have been a better prospect to go for Conte, get your on-field short-term results and then have to deal with the problem that is probably still there in two years' time? I think what it does is it influences the board. So this is what's really important is that may not have a board that know nothing about football. That is a problem, isn't it? You need expertise. So I think Ralph coming in and being acutely honest about certain things in the football team and being very public about it without rubbing United's noses in it. Like he's not that kind of guy. He hasn't attacked people. He's not Mourinho. He's not trying to burn things down. You know, even though I was claiming that you should burn stuff down uh, earlier on in the show, but he's not doing that. He's a professional and he knows how how to pitch it. And he has said, and I loved this the other night, he said, I have had conversations with the board directly and I've told them so he's like he's literally kind of like absolving himself he's going I know what's wrong and I've told the people who pay me and that is the chain of command so how can it benefit Man United that's where the benefit comes because now when you get Ten Hag comes in and Ten Hag will say that player's not doing it this player doesn't press this guy doesn't look happy this player at the other football club he might not be fashionable but can we sign him 30 million pound you might go and get the players you need. So I think that's the big benefit here, Scott. Now, at the end of a really torrid season, is that the board who the board don't go home and listen to our podcasts. The board don't go home and think about tactics. The board go home and think about profit. This board now, I think, might go home and think, well, we've failed this year. And is that guy Ralph who's been running the team? Is he right? And I think that generally with the likes of Murto, Ten Hag coming to the football club, you might even get a Paul Mitchell you then got an infrastructure to act. And if you can act, you can very, very quickly turn some of this mess around. How much confidence do you have in that happening? I have no confidence in the Man United board. Like, let's be honest. I'm not, I'm, there's no way I can sit here and say I've got faith in the Glazers. Absolutely not. But what I do have faith in is that Man United do spend money on transfers. 125, you know, was it 1.25 billion on transfers? And it's just because they've bought the wrong players. So if you'd spent 1.25 billion on good players, you wouldn't be here, would you? Even if the Glazers being awful, but their apathy towards recruitment and football structure has got you where you are. So that needs to be fixed. And I think this is why Ten Hag is the first building block in that. Yes, you need to add more expertise at director level. I think Murto is doing an okay job at the moment, but he needs help. And that's why Ralph Ranić could have been a good appointment. And Ralph Ranić's now going to be at Austria doing that job. So you need to still expand that. And you need to give Ten Hag the, the kind of backing that other United managers have had. Like, they have had money, Scott. Like, again, someone said to me last night, oh, the Glazers won't pay the money for the transfers. Well, they have. In 10 years, United have spent a ton of money. Just spend it better. And you might have a better football club. Yes, indeed. Uh, I mean... 
you know, United have changed this structure above the manager with, uh, you know, Richard Arnold coming in, mm-hmm. putting faith in the hands of John Murta, Darren Fletcher, Ralph Reinick's been there to advise, and I'm sure that's what will keep happening, although we'll, we'll see how much effect it has. Although I, I do feel like maybe there has been a little bit of acceptance that they've got things wrong. And ultimately, we will need to give them a little bit of time over this next few months to see how to see whether they have recognised that they have faults and to see if they are put in the decisions that they need to make better in the hands of people who know how to make those decisions. Definitely the, the, the noise coming out of the football club from central positions is they've got it wrong. So they've kind of held their hands up and gone, we thought Ole could take us from here to here. We thought the backing that we gave him from here to here would work and we came second last year, got to European final, we were on the right track and then it all got derailed because they realise they've got it wrong. So this is what I think the whole thing with the Ten Hag appointment is it is a really a real change of direction for this board because they're going to give this manager unprecedented power, but will they? So are we going to get to here in a year's time and have a bad season? We're going to go, Ten Hag's not being able to buy anyone. May United put the brakes on it for some reason. We don't know why. You know, we're having to dig around and ask questions again. So, no, I don't trust it, Scott, but they're telling us one thing and saying that they want to do it a certain way. And if they do do it that way, I think Man United will improve. Will you, get, will you be Premier League contenders next year? No, you're so far away from Liverpool. You're so far away from Man City. We just need to see better football, Scott. We need to actually see a football team go out there, work hard, press defenders, actually look like a, a kind of modern football team rather than this old school isolation ballers trying to get the ball and beat two players and put in the top corner. It doesn't work. It works sometimes, but it doesn't win you championships. It certainly doesn't win you trophies. And that's kind of the position that Man United are in today. It's their own fault, isn't it? It's their own making this. Is that the disaster that's Manchester United is Manchester United's fault? Yes, indeed. Uh, it seems like we're saying the same thing over and over again. But we will, uh, United have three games left this season one home game against Brentford on Monday night. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could look ahead to that, Rob. I'm sure you're expecting more of the same. Brentford. The Christian Eriksen audition. The Christian yeah. Eriksen audition. It could well be, you know, if if he if he turns up and plays really well for Brentford, there might be a few eye openers. Again, it's the kind of sign that fans are not interested in. But it, 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 I I look at the the makeup of the squad and the building, and I think you do have to look lower down the food chain sometimes to get better. You have to kind of find the, the players that can just help you in certain parts. Someone who can pass the ball and create and get assists and even take you decent set pieces, which just doesn't happen at Man United. Hmm. That helps, doesn't it? So I think someone like him, you know, he's looking for a bigger club next year. I don't think he'll stay at Brentford. Obviously, lots of talk about Tottenham potentially, but not quite sure he'll go back to be with Conte after Conte didn't particularly use him very well at Inter Milan. I don't think that that will be a thing, Um, which means he's on the market. And I think that Man United could do a lot worse in trying to replace those like-for-like outgoings. I said so one matter, I think, is a really good example. If you want a creative player who can play number 10, you know, attacking midfielder, playing wider positions, score you the odd goal instead of assists. He would be a really good short-term fix for a couple of years. Yes, uh, we'll see him rock up at Old Trafford on Monday night. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I can't go and say with any real confidence that United will go and be- beat Brentford, and that's half the problem, isn't it? And Tony but- as well. Like, Tony's another player yeah. who I think might get his big move next year. And there are several clubs thinking about him and scouting and talking about him. 
And he would not surprise me of being part, again, of the solution at Man United. If you're bringing in multiple players, he's not my pick. You know, he's not someone I look at and go, yep, absolutely. But when you look at the metrics, you know, he does a lot of the stuff that you need someone to do. It was funny last night seeing Romelu Lukaku look so abject. He came on. And even in the warm-up beforehand, he's just like, why am I here? And we were never like, seen this before, you know. I actually seen this exact player do this exact thing on the exact same blade of grass in front of me. And Romelu Lukaku has not helped Chelsea this year. It's why Chelsea are where they are and out of Europe and one through another. Man United need to go and find players now that help them kind of make that jump. And it's going to be unfashionable players as well. I think there's going to be some players where people go, I didn't like him. And, you know, he's come to the football club and done quite well. And I think it's going to be that kind of build. Yeah, yeah. I think United have won two of their last eight league games, which is just insanity. Uh, Scott, they could have walked top four this year. They could have walked it. They really could have. Could have walked it. They didn't even have to be great. They just had to be good. They just had to be consistent. The story of it, again, it seems like every year, fourth place, the story of it is the best of a bad bunch. Yeah. and and even even when we came second last year, I, I got the theory that people were saying, well, you came second because everyone kind of failed. And, and, I, I always say that you just play the table, like the table never lies. So if you come second, you come second. You deserve it. Well done. Pat on the back. We know how bad Liverpool were last year and a number of other clubs. But you see it this season. And all of those clubs around, even Chelsea include that in third. They're not great teams. Chelsea are champions of Europe and they're not that good. You know, they bought up strikers, score them lots more goals. That hasn't happened. So United could have just been decent this year. And Ronaldo's 20 goals could have meant a lot more. If the team was better and they did their work. But then I said, it's the whole thing, isn't it? From back to front. It's not just Cristiano. It's not just one position. There's so many things that are wrong. Yeah, we'll see where United finish. They finish the season with Brentford. I think they play Brighton away and then Crystal Palace away on the final day. Mm. Whether they'll finish anywhere. They're going to finish anywhere between sixth and eighth, I think. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I know Wolves have got to play Liverpool, eighth, Chelsea. Please. Eight. Wolves, though, eight. Eight. they've got to play Liverpool, eight. Chelsea and Manchester City <laughs> in their last few games. Uh, West Ham have got to play Arsenal and I think they've got to play Man City as well. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I think it's going to be six or, th- six or, th- or seventh. Uh, Europa Conference League or Europa League. It really depends. Uh, but yes, uh, any final thoughts, Rob, before we wrap up? I want eighth. It's sad, isn't it? We got to the end of the season and we're thinking eighth would be better than us for fifth, sixth or seventh. Look, United don't want to be in the Europa League. Like, I know some fans yeah. do want it, and I know Man United will want it to put bums on seats and to be able to sell tickets and Europa League shirts and whatnot. This football team does not need more games. It needs less games. It needs more time on a training pitch with a coach. And if they get that, and they get that opportunity to come eighth, and that's how I see it. It's an opportunity for the football club. Next year, you can go in, play one game a week, and your players can get rested. You can play kids. They can train together. They can become acclimatized together. And you can create a brand new football team. But I'm not interested in Europa League. Like I know West Ham are. Like West Ham are celebrating it like it's the, the best jaunt they've ever had. Great. Well done. You know, we won the Europa League not so long ago and it was all right. But that's not what this club aspires to be. This club aspires to be competing with Liverpool and competing with Manchester City. That has to be the only overall agenda. Liverpool aren't going anywhere. Jurgen Klopp signed a new contract for. He's there for another four years at the very least. So yeah. enjoy that, United fans, as Liverpool continue to dominate. Anyway, uh, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. 
And now you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to our YouTube channel, hit the like button, comment, subscribe, and join the community. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. And just another reminder too, you can follow Rob and I on Twitter, at underscore Scott Saunders for me, at underscore Rob, underscore B for Rob, and for the show, at Promise and MU. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back Tuesday after United play Brentford in the Premier League, and they'll be in their final game at Old Trafford this season. And I think I speak for everyone here when I'm just, I just want the season to finish. So uh, that's the end of the show. So thank you very much for listening. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.